There's no feeling more intense than starting over. If you deleted your homework the day before it was due, as I have, or if you left your wallet at home and you have to go back after spending an hour in the commute, if you won some money at the casino and then put all your winnings on red but it came up black, if you got your best shirt dry cleaned before a wedding and then immediately dropped food on it, if you won an argument with a friend and then later discovered that they just returned to their original view, starting over is harder than starting up. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. Sort of like the final season of Game of Thrones. Yes, oh, it's that goodness. time. Uh, <sighs> uh, no spoilers, no spoilers. On a different topic, today is National Buy a Musical Instrument Day. So happy Buy a Musical Instrument Day, Dave. Well, fabulous. I could I could use a new saxophone or maybe a keyboard. Yeah, a little, little saxophone. Saxophone. That was that was saxophone. my go-to instrument in high school. I loved it. <laughs> it's a good one. I, I need to buy another French horn. That's what I used to play in. Oh, you high play school. French horn? Okay. I did, hey, yeah. We have the trappings of the C Lab uh, band. We can play the theme song. That's great. I think we should <laughs> definitely <laughs> reorchestrate that for uh, <laughs> for for high school marching band. <laughs> All right. So C-Lab listeners, we're going to let you in on a little secret. A lot has changed since the last episode that we recorded. And you see, we record many of our episodes well in advance. And we create a black backlog. Yeah, try that again. And we create a backlog. That way, you know, we'll always have new content, even if we in our personal lives or our professional lives are overloaded. So now that you're in on that secret, uh, in this case, it's actually been a few months since we've recorded the episodes you've been listening to over the past few weeks, if you've been keeping up uh, current with the show. And it sounds that's lot, what, dog years? It's three years? <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> and a lot has changed since we last recorded. In, in fact, both you, Dave, and, and I have changed companies and moved to new roles building and leading customer education teams. Yeah, and it's really weird that and we, were, we were just talking about that on um, in a little chit-chat. We've kind of had this parallel journey where uh, we've gone to a bunch of different things, and this makes it a good time, we both think, to kick back, reflect, and really think about something that most customer education leaders will have to think about sometimes in their lives, in their career, and that's starting over. So just to give you my narrative, my journey here, I, I led a team at Gainsight, so I had a four-person team there, and then started over, then rebuilt from scratch at Azuqua. Uh, and now I'm starting over again. You may have heard of the company. It's Outreach, which is outreach.io. And it's all really exciting and a good way to reflect on what you need to think about on day one as you enter a new team. Yeah, or, or even on day 90 and some change like I am. Day 90. Yeah, I, I've passed those first 90 days. <laughs> well, I, mean, I already said this, but we've had this parallel journey, this parallel path lately. And we, when we met, you were at Optimizely, I was at Gainsight. But since that time, we've both gone through a second and third job change, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, some people say the change is the constant or that uh, the only thing that you should always expect is uninvited guests. <laughs> and, and if you don't say that, then you probably don't work in tech. But you're right. It, it's weird. 
Maybe that's symptomatic of a new undercurrent of customer education. There's a lot more emphasis being placed on customer education in businesses, uh, you know, especially mm-hmm. since the time that we first started talking about this. And I've personally seen more opportunities open for new customer education leaders than ever before. So perhaps change is a brewing and businesses are becoming more serious and they're trying to find the right people to lead their teams. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. And for a lot of us, it means we're going to start over many times. And so this episode's title and hypothesis are going to reflect that. Uh, they're both a tribute uh, to a game. And I'll take a step aside in personal life. I, I really enjoy games. I used to have a company that ran video game tournaments. And this game I like to play, I think, is kind of familiar to this whole process. You can find it on Steam, out there on the Internet. It's called Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. Throughout the game, the thing that I think is really novel about this is he, Bennett Foddy, is narrating as you hike through a series of obstacles. And here's how it starts. There's no feeling more intense than starting over. If you've deleted your homework the day before it was due, as I have, or if you left your wallet at home and you have to go back after spending an hour in the commute. If you won some money at the casino and then put all your winnings on red and it came up black. If you want an argument with a friend and then later discovered they just returned to their original view. Starting over is harder than starting up. Ooh, I love this. I love this. So let's work over is harder than starting up. (laughs) But I think we, well, let's test that hypothesis, right? Let's work our way through the topic. And as always, this is where we begin. Adam, What are you thinking about for our hypothesis? Okay, well, let's try to generalize this. We won't be talking about the specifics of our own companies and our roles today, but we will talk about what it takes to start over as a customer education leader. So this isn't necessarily for those in their first role in customer education, like we're often focusing on in this podcast, but rather, what should you be thinking about if you leave your successful customer education team to start or lead another? It takes a balance of leaning on your previous accomplishments and expertise with listening to your business and innovating. Okay, so let's unpack that. And what we've come up with for our hypothesis, what we've come up with for our, I can't say it. (laughs) I almost want to leave that in. You can can just dub me over saying hypothesis. Uh, How fitting it is. I will leave this in as starting over because it started over twice. So to successfully (laughs) start over, you must actively listen and learn from stakeholders and team members within your new organization while actively balancing your findings with the basic tenets that we know about from customer education. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's a big hypothesis, but it sounds to me like you're really focusing on the idea here of, of balancing, balancing your past with your future. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's begin with point number one for today's podcast, and that is a a phrase that I've heard. It's been circulated around the internet. It's put yourself on the shelf, not put the elf on the shelf. Is another elf on the shelf reference, Dave? (laughs) It is. Put yourself. I feel like this is like the recurring, it's the recurring gag in all of our podcasts. Like we keep coming back to the the shelf. It is. Well, maybe we'll have to make a thing about it. uh, Find the elf on the shelf. So again, put yourself on the shelf. Don't put your software on the shelf. <laughs> because it's all about renewal and adoption. What does this mean? This, this is all about listening and learning. And for this one, I, I like this phrase because 
It specifically calls attention to a couple things. Number one, Adam, I struggle with this sometimes, I think we all do, is that as we enter a new organization, a new company, I, I had a really good experience as a consultant in, in, in my career, and there's nothing better than being formally taught, okay, you're there to listen and learn. Put your ego aside. It's not about what you've done before or what you've seen before. That comes later. So set aside your ego. And then number two is actively listen and learn from the people within your organization. That means go talk to your peers. Go talk to your leaders. Get into their heads. What's their language? What's their own company dictionary, the things that they talk about? And then number three, be humble. So that's – so overall – Thanks, this Kendrick. Was, what's that? Thanks, Kendrick. <laughs> I, I guess if I were to sum this all up, Adam, I would say that there's literally nothing worse than coming into a new place and being a know-it-all. Um, it's super hard. It's disruptive. So what can we do to combat this? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. This is the uh, this is the Kendrick Lamar principle. We have to be humble about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you're going through your 30, 60, 90, we just talked about the first 90 days, you, you have that natural tension between knowing what you've accomplished in the past and wanting to speak up and wanting to prove your value with really needing to frame what you're doing and the strategy and the vision in terms of your new company and and that company's customers. You don't really want to be the person who just comes in and, um, you know, keeps saying, well, you know, when I was at Blah Company or when I was at this company, we did this. Because, you know, for a lot of the people at your new company, Unless your old company is really, really, really uh, good at what they do and really, really, really relevant to your new customer base, it, it actually doesn't always matter when you're starting. Right. So you have to be really intentional um, about being in listen and learn mode. You have to say that to people. Hey, you know, I have an opinion on this, but I'm in listen and learn mode right now. Yeah, that's often really hard when you're coming in you go oh i i want to raise my hand here and say something but you you haven't built that rapport or that trust yet right you know who you are you know what you've done but people don't know who you are and what you've done and they don't know that you know just because this is something you've done in the past you think is right that your opinion is actually valid so you really do have to be humble and be explicit that you're listening and learning and and i think dave i mean this is even more important if you're coming into an existing team to lead them because you're going on that journey together. If you think about the forming, storming, norming, performing model, Mm -hmm. where you go through the different stages of team development, you joining a team as a new leader takes the team back to forming. You're on that journey with them. So, you know, before you start wildly changing everything and rolling out a bunch of edicts and mandates, make sure to get a sense of the team's history and struggles and accomplishments and what they value. Because you're supplementing that. You're not necessarily here to just throw a wrench in all of that. Right, right. That's, and that's really hard. You know, as, as I've entered this new company, a new organization, there are things that you do sometimes have to make a command decision about. One example is one thing that I do, and, and this is just my personal preference as a manager, is I have my team loosely track time. Meaning, hey, just bucket your time, are you working? on just administrative email task, or are you teaching, or are you developing, or, you know, show me the big buckets so that I can come back and say, okay, now I know what we're working on. That might be constitute, or it might be falling in the storming camp, but it is more norming, I think, because 
that's information about our team. Still, those kinds of things coming in, you might have to find yourself doing as a manager, as a, as a new manager of a new team. Uh, but I even did that with much trepidation. Yeah, I mean, storming is natural, and it's going to happen whenever there's a change in the team makeup, and especially a significant change like a new leader coming into the team. I, I really try to empathize with that situation, you know, and think about the times when I've had a new manager come in and, and what's important there. I think that, you know, there are some things that are going to have to be command decisions, mm-hmm. but I also think that it's really important where you can to, to place a premium and an emphasis on going on the journey together. And so instead of starting with a bunch of specific initiatives or, or pieces like that, what I, what I do try to do is try to shape a collaborative vision or design principles that we can use to move forward. So if we can get on the same page, at least about what's important in our approach, mm-hmm. and for instance, to say, hey, you know, based on everything that the team has told me in, you know, the first, uh, in the first few weeks of being here, it seems like right now we're really order taking from our customers and we're not really saying no to them ever. And it seems like in order to go where we want to go, even if that vision isn't fully developed yet, um, it's important that we start building a muscle around doing deeper discovery with our customers and being able to push back a little bit for what's going to not just do what they ask for, but help them in the long term. So how can we put that principle into practice? And then everyone on the team will start to have ideas based on their own experience of how to do that. Um, But if you can give a framework or a design principle, then sometimes the team will even come up with better ideas than what you might have mandated. Yeah, that's pretty pretty amazing because right off the bat, you are humbling yourself and coming in and going, okay, well, I don't have all the answers. We're going to get to those answers together. And it's very it's very much an inclusive act. Yeah, and, and you know, you've talked a little bit about the uh, the need to be an investigative journalist as mm-hmm. an instructional designer, and I think that 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 journalistic approach is equally important when you're a manager or a leader, because everyone on your team did something before they they got to now. Mm-hmm. And understanding what that was and what brought them to this point and what makes them really feel like they're operating in their zone and they're using their superpowers. Now I'm thinking about rap again. We used the Kendrick Lamar quote earlier. And now I'm thinking <laughs> about Kanye saying, don't let me into my zone. But you got to let them into their zone. Um, and then uh, also, what, what maybe, what don't they like so much? What do they not want to be doing? Or what do they feel like they want to improve about themselves or about the team. So really, you know, taking almost an interview approach to that and, and mm-hmm. putting yourself in the role of the journalist with, with them as the subject, you can start to learn a lot, not just about what's going on tactically in the team, but really where everyone's coming from. Oh my gosh, yes. And, and I don't know about you, but one of the things that I'm a big fan of is the one-on-ones. The, I love one-on-ones. You, the first thing that I did is said, hey, everybody, we're going to start one-on-ones right away. We're going to have longer ones to begin with, and we're going to shorten them later on. But, and when I get into those sessions, the first thing I say, this is your time. Tell me about you. What are your career ambitions? What do you like here? What do you not like here? Tell me all the stuff. Let's have a great dialogue. And you get to know that person, and you get in that person's head, and immediately we start coming up with really great ideas and other things, and it starts getting the juices flowing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I like to distinguish as well the difference between just a regular one-on-one. First of all, I always tell my team that they own the agenda for their own one-on-ones because mm-hmm. ultimately it's it's their time and I want to make sure that they get what they need. But I also like to silo off the regular one-on-one, which is 
usually more about updates or what's top of mind from a development one-on-one. So, you know, when I first come in, I, I want to make sure to spend the time talking about each person's career and what lights them up and what lets them into their zone. <laughs> um, and then make sure to come back to that deliberately, quarterly at the very least. And to me, that's not a check the box activity. That's not just about, uh, you know, we're going to say that we did development plans for the sake of doing development plans. Like that is continuing the deep conversations and pulling back from the day to day to really think about, okay, not just where are we going as a team, but where are you going? Absolutely. Well, that's all good stuff. So let, let's unpack this a little bit further. I think we have one more point in that, which is you're also combating yourself. I do this all the time. I need to be that journalist. I need to learn about you and my team and where, where we're going in the company and other peers. But something I also struggle with personally is I feel like I, I need to prove myself and I probably need to do that quickly. Um, some folks might have an imposter syndrome going on and we all know about that. It's just something that happens and you have to overcome it. But if you're the only learning person in your org or maybe you've come in as a new learning leader, people are suddenly going to look to you and go, oh my God, thank you for coming. We're so thankful you're here. We love the fact that you have this expertise, um, but you're going to need to do it to do it as your job from the position of really knowing your business, right? You've got to build credibility by framing your work as a solution to a business problem, not just some ivory tower or new thing that you have. Yeah, I, you know, specifically thinking about customer education, I never like to come in with the assumption that people are going to get what we do or why it's important to do it in the way that we do it. I think a lot of people underestimate that customer education is a craft. And so that's something that, I, I know that we're going to be on a journey on with stakeholders throughout the business. And yeah, I, I like to frame what I do in terms of the business to help understand what, what I'm trying to do, you know, not just because it's abstractly a good thing to do, or this is how instruction works, but rather, hey, you know, I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to get business results. Um, and yes, I did these things in the past. Yes, I have this background, but there are going to be folks, uh, you know, who really don't have a lot of time and patience to understand all the details of the learning business, but we can still, uh, you know, build connections. And, and again, I think it's just really important to start with the customer. If you have a customer centric organization, um, your, your vision for the future should be customer centric and yes. the information that you use to frame it should be customer centric. So as you start to get those quick wins, which, you know, super important to get quick <laughs> wins when you're coming in. So, you know, people know that you actually do stuff. Um, I, I like to frame it in the context of customer and stakeholder feedback. So for example, um, when I was a checker, when I was pitching the vision for customer education, because there was no customer education team at all mm -hmm. before I walked into checker, uh, as we were developing that one, um, piece of advice that my manager actually gave to me was, Hey, why don't you start with the customer stories and the customer logos so that the executives understand that you've actually done this legwork and you've actually talked to the customer about their needs and how customer education will solve it instead of just talking about an abstract vision. And I thought that was brilliant. That is really great. I mean, I think I did something very similar. What, what I like to do is come in and just get the lay of the land and, and meet with people. And it, I, I think it was, it was good for my manager to acknowledge and my one-on-ones with him where he said, Oh, well, you're, you just kind of took off and started finding the people that you needed to talk to and, to and and to learn from and stuff and start having these conversations. And 
that's another way that people immediately start seeing, oh, you're, in, you're not only here to do the job, but you're also very interested in what we do and you're learning from us and you're, you're helping towards, I think, what I would mark as our next big bullet, which is building allies and starting to share vision. Love it. All right, Dave, what do you think about that? All right, let's talk about this because you and I, again, on this parallel journey, we are so super passionate about customer education. This this is a thing now that's happening. And and I would, again, if you're listening to this and you're not quite in customer ad and you're looking at how this can help you out, take note because this is a big part of our, our day-to-day. You're here to build allies. You're, you're here to share your vision as that first maybe 30 days to maybe 60 days time. You have a great job. You are this new customer education leader. People are already looking at you saying, cool, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Do this. The first thing you need to do as you're meeting with people is you're, you're going to get a really clear sense of who, quote, air quotes time, <laughs> who gets it, right, and who does not. Who gets what customer education is as opposed to just a training team or something like that. Now, I think, and Adam, tell me what you think about this, but allies can actually take any kind of shape. That means, you know, your team members should, by default, be natural allies. Uh, and, and they'll have a lot of influence because they know people. They, they know each other. They are, or have been in the environment hopefully a lot longer than you have, and that's super helpful. But it's not enough. So what other kinds of people do you actively connect with right off the bat? Well, first of all, I hope that your own manager will will be an ally. Um, of course, but a lot of the time, <laughs> <laughs> better be. Otherwise, get a problem. Yeah, of course, you'll you'll have other managers that are your cross functional partners, or maybe your direct peers, who again, hopefully, will be allies and and really have a high get it factor around why you've come in. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, customer success leaders, if you don't report directly into customer success, uh, are huge. Professional services, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that sometimes you can you can find unexpected allies, and I think there's value here in you know being able to have more informal chats and coffees and and what have you with other people at the company who you might just notice are talking about education in an interesting way, or just happen to bring it up, or maybe even have educational backgrounds. So you might find, for instance, a, a product manager who worked at an ed tech company in their past or has done some in-product education in a previous life. Uh, A lot of the time, designers are really sympathetic to instructional design approaches as well because there's a lot in common between visual design and experience design and instructional design. Totally, totally. You know, somebody I've also found to be very helpful is sometimes you'll find project managers, uh, like onboarding project managers or big program level managers uh, one in the company that I just met the last month or so since I've been here, she she's amazing. And she's like, oh, well, I understand all this about LMSs because we use this one here. And then you, you run into people and you start talking with people and all of a sudden you find unexpected allies like you're talking about. Um, but you can't really just stop there, right? You should always be looking and asking and probing to find people that would help tell the story. Uh, for example... A lot of the people that benefit from the work that we do in education here at Outreach are more on the SDR and uh, you know, uh, sales development rep. These are the people that are cold calling stuff. And 
going for us and talking with them and doing a day in the life with them or shadowing them, super helpful. And some of these folks have just amazing insight as, well, if I was going to train, this is what I would do because you're getting into their head. Yeah, it's, it's great sometimes when you're working with folks who will ultimately either be your subject matter experts or a proxy for your end user. And, you know, because if they've done what your, your learning audience is going to be doing, then they're going to have a reasonable idea about what resonates or doesn't resonate with them. I, I do think it's also important to know, because those groups can cut either way. You might have some people who are super enthusiastic about what you're doing and other people who might just think they know better. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be able to make a decision about how much time you're going to spend trying to win over folks who are resistant versus finding people who are natural allies. And, you know, for me, at least, I always prefer to start at least with the latter, unless I know that somebody's going to be a clear mm-hmm. blocker to the vision. I'd much rather work with people who get it and who are bought in because a lot of the time with customer education, when you start winning people over is once you start getting those quick wins and have something concrete out there. And you don't want to spend too much time just pitching this abstract vision to someone who's not going to be on board no matter how many times you pitch it. It's better to actually just start doing the work. And then show them through your actual vision as it comes to life. Yeah. And, you know, the people who do get it and are bought in, they'll they'll help break down walls for you, right? They become your advocates. And in some ways, it's like uh, hiring someone based on a referral instead of, you know, just having them in the applicant pool and only being able to look at the high level details of their resume. It totally. means a lot when there's someone who is willing to vouch for you. Right. They got your back. They're they're helping evangelize your talents. And yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah. And like, really make sure to appreciate those people. Like, you know, we're talking, when we're talking about allies, it seems sometimes like that's a, like a cynical thing or that we're just playing corporate politics. But Mm -hmm. like, I truly believe that having people in the organization who really want to partner with you and who believe in what you do, like sincerely appreciate them, connect with them because they are really going to help do great things together. Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot here for a sec. And as we talk about, (laughs) you're going to love it. You always do great here. Um, Vision. Now, if you're like me, in all the meetings I had with that, as I go through the new organizations, one of the things that I do after I get them to brain dump and tell me their interest and their, their passions and how you think education can help is I go, okay, well, Now I've got all that out of the way. I want to share you some ideas that I have. And this is my vision for where things are going. Again, all stemming from an understanding, which you you, you have a book out, Adam, that really helps to frame up what education and customer education specific is all about here. So this is really hard. We are seeing customer education as an emerging vertical. It's a thing. It's its own field in its own right. So part of our vision, and I would say every one of you who's listening to this podcast, stop and think about this right now. The most important thing that we as a team, as a clan, as a network of people can do is really start to evangelize. Customer education is this. This is how we go about it. These are the basic tenets of it. So quiz Yeah, if you can you. answer those two questions, like how how is customer education a craft, not just an activity? Uh-huh. And what does it do at its best for your business? You're going to go a long way. Right. And okay, so... Adam, then if you could kind of lightly summarize what you have written in your book, tell us about what that is. 
I mean, in the book, I talk about the fact that your customer education approach has to match your business's approach. Mm-hmm. So if you are a business that is really indexing on growth and trying to acquire a lot of new customers, uh, a lot of early stage venture backed businesses are like this, then as customer education, what you're really doing is you're helping scale out your customer success function. And that means you might be indexing on providing a lot of free education and really focusing on reach. If you are primarily supporting, say, education services in a more mature business, well, then you're indexing a little more on revenue or at least on cost recovery, but you're probably also focusing on providing a really deep, meaningful experience to your customers that's actually going to drive longer-term adoption or retention. So, you know, what, what I say in my book, because there isn't just one way to do this, right. what I say in my book is, is match what your business is trying to accomplish. Right. And that's, don't you think, though, that that's kind of at odds with some folks that might come in from a more traditional, more staid um, educational com- world, right? Not customer education, not SaaS. Do you, do you think this is a difference? Are you talking about people who may have been doing like corporate L&D their entire lives and have focused mostly on an internal audience? Are you talking about folks who have been doing education services forever? Who, who are you talking yeah, about here? Yeah, actually, I think I might be talking about the latter because, you know, it's really, you mentioned a phrase, order taker. And quite often in education, it's really easy. And, and I'm dealing with this right now. We do a huge volume of live training. And basically, that's part of my responsibility is to manage that. But then I'm thinking about my vision at the same time. So I could have this, somebody could come in and be the me and not be really well versed in customer education to go, oh, I'm taking orders. Okay, I'm doing, I'm putting butts in seats. I'm doing this kind of thing. Whereas what, what I'm trying to do is come in and say, look, I have this vision and understanding of what customer ed is. And in fact, one of the first things that I did, Adam, is and I pulled this out of a playbook from long ago. I made a team charter. And I sat down with my team and said, let's all think about what we're here to do, because what is the challenge that you have when you, tell, when you have to tell people no, right? No, that no is a big part of why I said I made a team charter, which is in this case, yeah. I'm redu- and I'm going to paraphrase it, but we're, reducing, we're here to reduce barriers uh, to learning our product by building, delivering world-class educational products to all our customers based on common roles and workflows. And then... I go on to say, we focus on scale first, developing modular material from on-demand to instructor-led to get our customers up to speed quickly and improve the way they work. Now, if you'll notice, some of the things that I put in there come directly out of uh, some lines of your definition of customer education. But what I feel is, I put this on an internal intranet page, I share this, and, and I say, this is what we do. And immediately, for example, I might get a request from marketing to do a video. Well, I could put an instructional designer on that. Is that education? So that's why I think we could so easily get influenced or be order takers or come at the back and call of anybody that thinks we need to be training. This is why a vision clearly stated, written down, shared with everybody, people go, oh, well, they don't even have to get us customer education to know this is what our mission is. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, and, and you're, you're bringing up two interesting and I think distinct concepts here, which are a vision and then a mission or a charter or a methodology or whatever you want to call it. Because so, yeah. a, a charter or a mission really talks about what you do and, and what you don't do. So it helps define some of those those boundaries or at least 
talks about what's most important to you and what you're going to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And then you can start, you can cascade a lot of that into your values, how you do what you do or, or what you prioritize as you do that. Because every organization is going to have something that they probably uniquely value in their approach or what they prioritize in their approach that other people don't do. But that right. all has to roll up to a vision. And the vision is something that's a little more ambitious, a little more aspirational, uh, aspirational a little more forward-looking. Where are you going? What is your team going to look like when it's at its best? What's it going to be doing for the business? And so, you know, I'm going back to your question earlier about folks who have maybe been operating in a more staid environment. Well, if, if that's how you feel about the work that you've been doing, then a vision at its best will help you elevate mm-hmm. what you're doing while still resonating with the business. Because you're still talking about business impact. You're still talking about how you're going to help your customers and your business succeed but you're talking about it in a way that elevates the work that you do to something more meaningful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good way to put it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that all makes sense. And, and depending on when you come into a team and what you're being asked to do, that'll probably influence the way that you approach your charter and your vision and, and your mission. But, you know, Dave, I, I think that a lot of it also comes down to execution. Oh, so, I mean, we have to do stuff. I think that brings us to our our last point, right? You got to deliver. You got to deliver. Okay. Well, let's, let's use the standard approach that we have in scaling and growing, which is crawl, walk, run, right? That comes into play here. You, for example, I've come into organizations where there's some stuff and I, I don't have as much work. I have come into other organizations where, oh my God, I've got to burn everything down and rebuild it from scratch. Um, to, to help leadership see value, this is immediately where you're going to have to start thinking, all right, is there some low-hanging fruit? I think you called it quick wins before, right? Yeah, same, um, same thing. What, Adam, are you seeing as so, – and again, everybody, this is different for every business and every organization that, that you are in. After you get the lay of the land, what is it that you start – seeing as some of that low-hanging fruit to help start driving your delivery. So maybe you can give me some examples. I'm thinking here about something that I heard Kristen Swanson say at a meetup, which is you should start by finding that one tricky wicket that is causing pain for customers Mm -hmm. and solve that. Now, sometimes that might be something that's actually related to your product functionality, but education can help them address that and solve that. If you don't have um, a good resource for it, you can create one. Mm-hmm. So a lot of teams, when you walk in and you're starting an education team from scratch, they probably don't even have a lot of information in a knowledge base or a help center. And that's something that, that can be easy to document. If you're walking right. into a more established team, then this can be a pain point in the team's operations that, uh, are, that, that, that are, uh, excuse me, that are already in existence. Here I am starting over after I can't say words. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that could be potentially doing a gap analysis to find um, where are the major gaps in your content. It might mm-hmm. be updating a key piece of content that has gone stale, um, or it might be creating something new that, that solves a key problem. Yeah. Now, you know, I've had, yeah. Adam, some other problems, too. One of them is my LMS uh, was just chock full of junk and and not serving anything and also i think one of the even more 
pronounced things you can do is is to look at that team. We were going back, looping back to the beginning of our discussion, we were talking about one-on-ones and getting to know people. One of the things that I commonly see is that sometimes, per- perhaps you're in a team that hasn't had a leader for some time, and people just kind of organically started to do things because they've taken leadership from others that haven't been a customer education leader. So I've done a lot of work to sit down and go, okay, that thing you're doing there, why are you doing that thing? And can I get help get that off your plate? And can I free you up to do the things that we know are more important? And in fact, they want to do even, they, they want to do. Yeah, I, I think if you're doing that, that journalistic approach at the beginning and you're talking to your team and hearing what's important to them and what gives them pain on a day-to-day basis, and you're doing the same with your stakeholders and people who really represent the customer and the customer experience, then you can, at least in the back of your mind, be filtering that through what would the effort level to solve this be mm-hmm. and what would the impact of solving this be. And you'll probably find some things that you know how to approach this problem because you have uh, an instructional background, you have a customer education background, and so you you can pattern match against something you've done before to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And some of those problems are going to be low effort, high impact, and, and those are your quick wins at the end of the day. And those are also the areas where people are naturally going to respect and appreciate your approach a little bit more because you're using your previous experience to solve a problem that this business is facing today. Yeah. And when you can do those things, that's when you start to create a little bit of magic. Totally. You're, you're delivering on something in a little bit. You know, Adam, one of the other things that I advocate for is at first, when you come into an organization, you may have your work style and such. But one of the things I like to do is take what we're talking about here, these quick wins, these low-hanging fruits, and build a short, from an agile terminology, a sprint. Um, in my case, I've elected for like a half a quarter, a month and a half, which is a decent amount of time to do some not so trivial stuff. But those things that we did are critical, cleaning up our LMS and some other stuff. And, and, and then those set us up for broader successes because, you know, as well as I do, a lot of the work we do can be longer term, bigger programs. You're building out an entire program. Well, it's going to take a long time. Let's focus on what's right in front of me and be able to push off on things that are not important. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And, you know, as you're doing this, you might also find that there are things that are already working really well today and you can continue to support and amplify them. Uh I mean, I've walked in, I've I've been in the situation of walking in and just being very humbled by the level of of execution and innovation on my team and felt like one of the, the quick wins is even just helping to amplify and support the great work that they're doing. And if, you know, the, the team has been, without a leader for a little while, that might be something that uh, folks are hungry for. So are you saying that you're going to say, dish out some praise, evangelize in in a Slack channel that you have for wins and stuff that, hey, uh, Jane here is amazing. And Jane did this really cool thing. And Joe, Joe went off and took that thing that Jane did and, and made this even better, things like that. Yeah, and and you know to be thoughtful and specific as well about what you're what you're giving praise and recognition around, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they are things that are that are high value in terms of the accomplishments, but also that they really reflect some observation of what your team member did really well to make that happen. You know, because totally. that that goes a lot more. Uh, it goes a longer way than just saying, "Hey, great job on this." That's really cool. And, you know, Adam, I want, I want to add in one more thing here. And that is 
something that I end up struggling with, and I'm a pretty geeky, techy person with an inquisitive mind. I like to learn everything I can about environment. But one other thing as you're going to start delivering, that you're a leader, you're a manager, you have a team, hopefully. If um, You also may be in an environment where you're the only person you're doing it all. Uh, in my case right now, I am not. And, and one thing that is kind of a challenge, and I think this is particularly appropriate for customer education because we're developing a lot, we're developing ourselves as new leaders as we go. One of the things that I struggle with is you're coming into a team, you're trying to help them out. But there's also a trap in there. I've leaned into something too far every once in a while and have that risk of becoming an independent contributor. That's not me. I even had told my team, look, while I want to go through all these enablement programs and all this training and all this stuff too, I'm going to do a little bit of that, but I'm here really to focus on helping to be a lever for you to be successful. You're a manager now. So that's, this may be obvious. This may be something that we all should know, but I fight that still even to this day, and I wanted to bring that to the surface. Yeah, I struggle with that sometimes too, and especially in a situation where you come in as a manager, not as you know, the, the one, the one person show who built everything up, you, you're not going to have to engage as deeply with the subject matter and that'll come over time. But if you spend all your time trying to build your credibility on your knowledge of the product and all the technical nuances, then that also means that you're probably not spending time focusing on driving other things. So That's you really right. have to think, and, and maybe we can have a different episode at some point about just you know, skills for uh, different ways for customer education leaders to lead. But if you want to roll some of that up, you can lead through uh, being more dictatorial or a command leader, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can lead through influence and trying to drive inspiration. You can lead through being a really uh, supportive uh, person or a, a force of stability, kind of like the coach. Or you can lead by being the domain expert in your area and having the most knowledge about the product or the most knowledge about training or instructional design. All of those are valid ways to lead, but um, by focusing on building your skills in one area, you might be sacrificing your ability to execute in another. Right. So are you a Daenerys or are you a Jon Snow or are you a Tyrion? You know, they all have different aspects of that there. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just starting the series. I, I think I'm a Ned Stark, so I, I, uh, I think good things are coming for him. <laughs> All right. And with uh, a, a nice, uh, solid Game of Thrones reference, well, let's wrap this up. Okay. So if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education. That is HTTPS colon slash slash customer.education, where you can find all of the related material uh, sometimes blog posts. We'll keep uh, posting content up there for you. And please, if you found value in this podcast, share with your friends, share with your peers, share with your network, and please, please, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice to help us find the others. On Twitter, I'm at Evermescu. And I'm at Dave Darrington. We're on LinkedIn. We're on all those places. We're everywhere. Reach out to us and... Once again, audience, thanks for joining us. We're really happy to have you here. We ask you to go out, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>